Well, hello, everyone. My name is Paul, and this is the Football Scouting Podcast. Today, our guest is going to be fellow XTB scout, Zach Apt. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? That's great. So when we start off these podcasts, we want to know who who the guest is, what their background is. Were they football guys their entire life? How did they get to uh, where they were? So, um, yeah, Zach, tell me about... Uh, Tell me about your childhood and uh, how you kind of uh, and why you're in why you're trying to be a football scout. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I played football up until my freshman year of high school, and my first play, I ended up perforating my bell trying to make a tackle. So I kind of figured, uh, not the best, not the best uh, profession for me. So <laughs> I took a little bit of time off, um, and actually, I think my journey probably really started. Um, Probably in 2017, during the playoff run, during the Eagles playoff run, actually. Um, and I have been reading up on a bunch of books. Uh, the book that I had just finished was uh, Football Scouting Methods by Steve Belichick. And uh, it, it taught me how to, how to start looking at games and how to start kind of analyzing what I'm watching. And so I would watch the playoff games that year. And I would jot down every personnel that I saw, 11 personnel, uh, if it was a run or a pass, what down was it, how far they were. And I did all this by hand. And uh, it was just something where I started to see trends like, OK, the Patriots ran, you know, 11 personnel a lot more in the second half, but they were down. So it kind of makes sense. It's just stuff like that that you pick up on. And it actually helped me um, land my coaching job. Uh, I Before I started scouting, I was. Um, a volunteer coach down in South Carolina with uh, the Chester Cyclones. And so I showed the coach, um, the head coach, uh, Victor Floyd. Um, and he actually, he liked the stuff and he brought me on. And uh, I just, I learned a lot from those guys. Um, fun fact, Victor Floyd was actually, he coached in Georgia. He coached high school in Georgia and he coached uh, Darius Slay, uh, Tracy Williams, and someone else that was also in the Detroit Lions secondary, can't think of his name, but he coached all three of them, which is actually pretty crazy. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. The uh, only guy from my high school to ever make it into the NFL was a guy named Ed Philpot. And he technically didn't play in the NFL. He played in the AFL for the uh, Boston Patriots in the 60s. And it's like, yeah, there's kind of like a little sticker on the um, – uh, on our board, like, hey, there's Ed Philpot. He was a really good football player. That <laughs> that was it. Nice. That's uh, that's something. Hey, that's, that's something. It's a start. Mm-hmm. When your football team won, uh, high school football team won nine games in uh, the five years I was a part of it, from like eighth grade to um, senior year, you kind of know you're not really dealing with like the brightest brightest football minds over there. So. I kind of had to uh, wait a little, wait a little longer. For for me, like uh, my uh, welcome to the league moment, and by welcome to the league, I mean welcome to JV football. Was um, 50, uh, 15-year-old me was um, five foot four, 100 pounds, and I was the reserve safety for probably the worst junior varsity football team ever assembled. We went. Uh, we played seven games that season and scored zero points. That's bad. Yes. Uh, we once had a game where we had 15, fum- 15 fumbles. Like, we, we, we could, like, 
our fundamentals were so terrible. Things like getting the snap to the quarterback, it was just like, hey, there's a 10% chance we're going to fumble. And then it's like another 5% chance that the quarterback's going to fumble on the exchange to the running back. Like we could not do any, we could not do anything. Our quarterbacks never showed up to practice. Like it was terrible. You guys but, ran the annexation of Puerto Rico. You guys would have been gold. Exactly. We, I mean, who needs snaps to the quarterback? It's too <laughs> complicated. But yeah, after riding the bench on like the worst possible team, I fi- they finally let me in after the starting safety got a concussion and the uh, backup safety was um, suspended for being a bad, violent boy. And uh, I finally got my chance to play, and I got eight tackles and one half and a fumble recovery. Every single play was just the running back would run the ball. None of their defensive linemen were good. None of our linebackers were good. They would all be blocked. I would be the unblocked guy. Trip over his feet, like just attack his knees. And I'm like, wow, this really, this really isn't that hard. It doesn't like feel that good because the running back is like five inches taller and weighs 60 more pounds than me. But, you know. I'm I'm doing doing my thing, and, and then and the next that, that's how you got uh the nickname football. Yep, because I would always attack the feet. Uh, well, not <laughs> not really, but that would be an ama- that would be an amazing origin story that I can lie about when I become obviously famous. Obviously. Um, <laughs> and then um the week afterwards, I'm thinking that I'm going to start, but no, they start the kid with the concussion over me, and then he's concussed and can't play, and then they put the violent, usually suspended kid on. He's being violent and a danger to everybody. So then they put me in, and then immediately guy runs a seam route right past me, touchdown. I had no chance. I had no speed, no, like, movement abilities. All I could do is, like, chase down think people on the run, and I'm a safety who can't be, be safe. And then I'm like, yeah, there's no way I'm ever going to play varsity. You're a run then, supporter, man. It's what you're built to do. Exactly. All 100 and something pounds of me. Yeah. After that, I would like be the coach's fundraiser and keep track of plays. And then college was really kind of in, uh, interesting because I worked in athletic communication. I, I'm kind of mad that I didn't actually like work like act with the football team, like in film or like as an as volunteer coach. Because I thought, like, athletic communication would be the best way of working with sports teams. But, no, that was, like, the best way of getting an SID spot. And that was not something I – that route really closed on me quick. What's SID? Sports Info Director? Yeah. So they're just, like, kind of like the PR people, the guys who write all the programs and make sure the public knows that their program exists. What kind of stuff? What what kind of stuff did you do in uh in college in foot for for football? No, so in in college I really didn't do anything football related. I mean, there's not much to do with Rutgers, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh no, I I really worked in uh intramurals and I spent a lot of time kind of on that on the recreational side of it. Um, I didn't really get into that stuff until until I was in grad school down at Winthrop, and uh yeah, so when I when I got my coaching gig down there um it was it was a lot of like administrative stuff like make obviously giving out equipment to players making sure the players were on time and um and a lot of that type of stuff i on during games i would i would chart i would be i would stand next to the uh to the defensive coordinator uh his name's tim boyd he's my mentor uh and yeah and and 
so I would chart his calls and, and any uh, adjustments that he had to make. And so he could look at that at halftime and after the game. I was also his his guy. You know how Sean McVay has a guy to keep mm-hmm. him from hitting the ref on the sideline? I was the, also that Oh, the hold me back, bro. Hold me yeah, back, bro yeah, guy. Yeah, that guy. And, and that dude is literally like he's he's like an inch shorter than me. But this dude is like probably 35 pounds more than me in muscle. Like just straight muscle. The dude's jacked. Wow. But yeah, so that was that was a tough task. But um but no, it was it was really cool. Like coaching really intrigued me just because of how much strategy goes into it. Like we spent Sundays, uh like Saturdays were the days off. Friday we played, Saturdays were the day were the day was the day off. And Sundays were spent at the high school probably from about twelve thirty to nine o'clock just watching film on our opponents and we we charted we looked at when the way that we broke it down on defense was uh how many times do they line up in this formation and then how many times do they run these plays in that formation so we would know what their favorite formations were and then what their favorite plays out of those formations were and that's how they would determine what plays they would call yeah, hand uh, hand charting is just a really like enlightening experience. Uh, one of my favorite is when you do it for like actual like NFL games, and you like actually can like. There's so many trends that you can start seeing when you actually start putting pen to paper or um, start plugging through plugging through a spreadsheet. I think people have some kind of misconception that that probably comes from Madden that NFL playbooks are ginormous things they have like 800 calls and that at any given time the quarterback can call one of 800 different plays and that they probably never even called the same play uh, twice when you can actually watch a team pretty much run the same play maybe out of a different formation like eight eight to ten times in a game and you can know what's coming just by seeing where the motions and things of that nature no joke, I script my play calls in Madden. I set it up. Like, I know, like, all right, if anyone ever plays me, Zach Zacky 52 on PlayStation. But I love running play action on the first play out of running formations. And I'll do one fake jet zone play every quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, I'll run the jet. And it'll get, it'll get like 25 yards. Scheming is everything. I love scheming. That yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I know I say this every podcast. We could have a podcast where we just make fun, uh, make fun of Madden. But one thing I think they do do well is the playbooks are pretty authentic. That you, there's lots that you can learn about what plays work um, in Madden against zone uh, certain coverages. In a lot of those times, the players are programmed right where what what works in Madden can be similar to what is seen in real life. Have you kind of seen that as well? Yeah, well, my brother is actually not great in Madden. He actually he did just beat me. I'll give him credit. But uh, all I told him was, look, do the skills challenges. Like, do those little trainings that they have. It tells you what cover three is, what that looks like. It tells you what, you know, what cover one is, what can beat these coverages, how you can recognize it, how you can adjust everything. And he's gotten so much better already in, like, a matter of a week just by – paying attention to that stuff. It's crazy. And and Madden does that stuff well. They have a lot to work on in terms of, you know, just gameplay in general. But I think that, like, the schematics of it, not bad. 
Exactly. They just kind of have to tweak some of tweak some of the AI and fix some of the glitches so that a left-handed uh, punter handing the ball off to Derrick Henry doesn't win you the whole entire Madden championship. Yes, yeah, that's that's what happened. <laughs> the guy who won the Madden Bowl, the Madden Super Bowl, the best Madden player in the world, won because he found out that if you have a left-handed quarterback or punter and run like with an outside stretch, like the angle your angle gets slightly adjusted at the point of where you get the handoff and you come in with more speed and you get like six, six yards every time. And he ran that play like all the way to the finals and won without ever throwing a pass the entire tournament. Take that analytics. Exactly. (laughs) Is what coaches say. And and I've said this to you before, like it's all coaches want to, if you ask coaches what they want to do, they want to run the ball and they want to stop the run. Everything else will come. Mm-hmm. But if you can if you can control the ball and you can control the tempo of the game, then you probably can't be beat. Exactly. And that's that, that's true, like especially at the lower levels when like there can be really big differences in talent discrepancy. You don't need to out scheme or out coach these people. If you can, the easiest way to get down the field and the most fun way to get down the field. If you ask any offensive lineman, any running back, any tight end, anybody that isn't the quarterbacks and wide receivers is they would just love to run off tackle and isos every play and beat them down. There's uh, something psychologically enjoyable about that fact. The yeah. only issue is when you get to the NFL and we're running just like the athletes are just so good and you just can't really break out those big runs as much. Yeah. That's where the whole conversation of comes from. Yeah. And I think that's why they, that's why they football has really evolved into those quick passes where you see a lot of these screenplays, something that, yeah, you're going to throw the ball because you really can't get any push on the, on the line where you can where you can make that hole so you need to spread the defense out and you need to get the balls at the perimeter and just go downhill from there at at, uh chester we didn't really our quarterback wasn't really developed yet so it was we ran like a power read uh spread power read scheme and we had three 1000 yard rushers on the season our quarterback maybe only threw for like 700 yards but we had the ball for three-fourths of the game Exactly. And especially those some of those quick passes, like I call them uh, like one read passes. It's where the quarterback is looking at one wide receiver um, and the decision is not um, is do I throw it to him or not? He either throws it to him or throws it away or takes a sack. He's not going through any progressions. And if you think about that, almost all of those plays are going to the ball's only going to be traveling a couple yards in in the air, if not going a little bit um, behind the line of scrimmages. Those are essentially run plays, if you kind of think about it. They're not really pass plays, but they're not really dropping back. It's just toss forward in some cases and that's why when people are like passing the ball is so much more effective than running the ball teams should pass the ball like 80 percent of the time you realize that like a lot of the passes are just real aren't are kind of similar to runs and the fact that they aren't going to get very many big plays and they establish other plays in the playbook yeah and i mean move, go ahead move the clock yeah and move, move the clock go ahead yeah, and, and I mean, that's what – quarterback is a very, very difficult position to play, especially at the NFL level. And so the way to make it easier 
is just have them not think as much. If you're at the defense, you really just need to be guessing what read a quarterback is going to be making, you know, especially in college. In college, it truly is. You split the field in half and you make them read one or two defenders. And if it's not there, then you you run or you throw it away. And it's really that simple. Yeah, it's just the way progressions are like are done now. It's just totally different. Um, like I almost wonder what Peyton Manning would be like playing in like Andy uh, Andy Reid's offense. Like everything is just so wide open and sp- uh, spread out, and the name of the game is space. Uh, yeah, I guess we could see kind of what would happen by watching 2013 Broncos tape. That's that's what they so dominant. Yeah, that's what they did. It was short, a lot of short passes mixed with deep attempts and just attacking every single spot on the field. Yeah. It's just just interesting to think if you were to like watch a game from 2006 and they're passing the ball with like seven step dropbacks out of the I formation. All right, we're going to be running play action scissors. And it's. Like the game is just so radically different, yet in some places so similar. Yeah, for sure. And I think you know what is actually crazy to me. So I was reading um Blood, Sweat, and Chalk by Tim Layden. And what what really stuck out to me is that like obviously like the single wing, the double wing, just like the wishbone, it it never really got stopped. It just went out of style. The only reason it's not really as dominant like with, with the military schools is just because they don't have the talent to do that. But when teams used to be able to do that, like if a team ran wishbone, like if the Chiefs ran wishbone, I really do feel like no one would still be able to stop the Chiefs. Yes, but or if the Ravens ran wishbone with um, case closed. Yeah, with Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Yeah. That. So there's just so much to learn schematically about the game, and there's so many different systems out there and ways uh, that coaches game plan getting the ball from one spot to another and that's uh, really that's why football's so awesome in baseball the strategy is i'm going to guess what pitch he's going to throw but i'm probably barely even guessing it's all like muscle yeah it's like muscle memory and you swing a bat football like it's like a military exercise you got 11 guys that are moving in certain places and they can adjust where they're moving based off of the defense's looks and it's so complicated yet so simple it's i love it I feel like you made a lot of baseball people mad with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love baseball. Baseball was my first love over football. But, you know, when the Indians during the Eric Wedge era, kind of. Yeah. But, so how has um how has coaching made you a bet, uh, better scout? What things have you learned from scout um coaching that you think um helped you become a better scout and uh what do you think like a person listening could gain from helping out their local high school football team? Coaching was fantastic because I know football. I know, I know schemes. I know kind of what I know what offenses and defenses do, but I don't know how players are taught going Mm -hmm. into this. Right. So now that I'm scouting and I see, Oh, a player has this technique and maybe it's not the most efficient for what I, a scout wants to see, but it could be something that a coach teaches. It might be unconventional, but it's something that is taught to them. And so it's really helped me, I would say keep a level head before jumping to conclusions on whether or not it's bad technique or whether or not it's coached. And so in those situations, you want to look at 
someone else who is not in, right? So if I'm looking, I was watching last year, um, Francis Bernard, he's, he was the uh, linebacker out of Utah. And I watched him and there would be plays where for the first one or two seconds, he's flat footed on pass plays. He's not moving. And I'm like, is that, is that taught? Is that something that, is that a bad habit from him? And so what I, what I got to learn was just watch someone who plays that position as well, but isn't him. If you see that he's not on the field, watch and see, like, does he also stand flat footed or is he the one like, or is he, you know, doing what we would expect a linebacker to do in a pass play, which is, you know, flip your hips and drop in the coverage. And so just kind of realizing that, you know, it's not necessarily the player. It might be the coach or vice versa. You just need to dig deep and uh, do a little extra research to, to finding that stuff out. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a great piece of advice and something that I should probably start incorporating more into my scouting uh, scouting is there's so many like things that you can uh, notice about a player just on a single play, like an offensive lineman, like looking exactly at their feet, like when a real scout and something I'm working on doing is I'll notice how high a lineman will get his foot on their like steps back or did their foot like sl- uh, slide across the ground or is it like a choppy up down type motion? You check like the distance of how far his foot gets back and there's so many details and we us- we usually get taught about what the ideal form is by one person and yeah there is like the right and wrong way to do things but there's slight differences in all of these ways and it can be very difficult to know to, to know hey when this quarterback is dropping uh dropping back his back foot sometimes crosses um crosses his right foot even when he's not trying to throw to the right is that a bad habit or is that something he's coached and the best way of figuring it out is well the backup quarterback is probably getting coached the same way the, guy, the right tackle is probably getting coached by the same guy as the left tackle. So being able to use that to cross-reference and say, hey, this is not a bad technique, but this is what he's being coached. This is not a good technique, but this is what he's being coached to do can actually be really valuable. Yeah, and it's so it's so important to, to be able to realize that and, and really get in that zone, right? So obviously, like I'm sure that there's times where when you're watching plays, it gets repetitive and you, you might end up zoning out for a play or two. But it's it's like one of those things where you just you just get in that flow and you kind of get used to what you're watching. You get used to the steps that someone's taking. You get used to, you know, all these different things that you're looking at. And and for me, on a play by play basis, so I know not to not to zone out, is I like to I like to paint the picture. I like to paint the picture of each play, which is what we do in scouting reports. We, we, when we try and describe the player that we saw, we like to try and paint what is he like from the start of the play to the end of the play. And I think that's what I kind of do every play. Like, what's his reaction off the ball? Where's his first step? How big is his first step? Does he get his hands on, like if for an offensive lineman, does he get his hands up first? Does he make first contact or does first contact make him? You know, and just seeing how it plays out every, you know, part of that play is just something that really is able to keep me focused and and keep me uh, uh, sharp. Yeah, absolutely. Linemen are where, like, the where you can kind of get um, a little bored is. You can only watch like a guy pass uh, pass block on a quick set so many times. 
Yeah. And then you're like, I just want to see uh, see something happen. So being able to kind of have a process of the things that you're looking for on each play, you can be able to you can notice things um, much better than somebody who like when I like first started scouting linemen and I still kind of have to work on getting better on this habit. It's you kind you only watch like what happens on their wins and losses. Uh, I know for me, when I watch a lineman, whenever I see like a beat, a win or a loss, I try to ask myself why that happens. That's kind of been my, my philosophy when scouting linemen. And I'd love to kind of incorporate uh, yours into mine. I still have got Jackson Carmen to, uh, to uh, write. Sorry, <laughs> Searle. Um, <laughs> so, uh, that was kind of my philosophy is see the mistake and understand why see that, Hey, the reason he lost this play was because he didn't get his hands on the defense alignment first. And you can kind of notice these trends when you look at all of the losses. If you see, Hey, I've seen like five, six examples of him giving up pressures because his hands are slow. That's like a bullet point. That is a sentence you write in your scouting report. Yeah. And I think one of, I think, one of the things that I struggle with with offensive linemen is when someone loses because of balance. Like, I know, obviously, I'll know if someone gets pushed over, but I don't, I'm still not fluent in why a certain position, why a certain knee bend or a waistband or something like that. And whatever position the defense is coming in, if they're low and they're, and they're bull rushing up, or if they're just, you know, clubbing them to the side. I don't know what about it makes it makes him become unbalanced. And that's that's probably one of the areas I struggle with most when scouting offensive linemen is why, you know, how does someone fall basically? Yeah, it's um I noticed that when I watch like um linemen that like there's kind of like I call it like a power stance, like a power stance, like the ideal set that they have. And while it can kind of be a little difficult to explain, I feel I can recognize it a bit when I see it. So it's like you see the knees bent, you see the shoulder, the shoulders like above, uh, like, I don't like between the knees and the, between the knees and the hips. So they're not too far forward and not too far back. And they just look like they can't be pushed over. And like, you can kind of like, uh, I'd say the first thing to notice is one, how are the knee, how are the knees bent? Uh, I know Ron gave us a very good example of like waist benders and, uh, knee benders. Uh, if you see a guy need try, that uh, needs to get low for leverage, need to use it more in his waist than in his knees. That's a pretty bad, uh, bad sign for balance and balance and flexibility in those big guys is kind of hard to improve, but, yeah, just kind of recognizing whether if the guy's too far forward, too far back, and kind of like just see uh, watching enough good linemen like in the NFL. That's why pro scouting can be important. So you can kind of recognize that like stance that I was envisioning. Sure, it's it's a lot. I think it's a lot easier for me to tell that kind of stuff, especially with secondary, like with cornerbacks and, and stuff like that. I feel like it's a lot easier for me to see where a cornerback wins and loses when it comes to balance and when it comes to like mirror matching and stuff like that. Exactly. And I'm sure um, coaching has been huge in for, uh, to be, to you being able to help recognize technique because you, you not only need to recognize the tech uh, techniques that players need to do at certain positions, you need to teach that to 
14, 15, and 16-year-olds, some of them who don't even want to be, who are forced to be there by their parents and would rather be at home playing Fortnite or whatever kids are playing nowadays. So, Warzone. <laughs> oh, Warzone? Yeah. I thought it was Fall Guys or Among Us. Oh, Fall yeah. Guys, too. But, yeah, so um, in my time at Chester, I spent a lot of time with the defensive coordinator, um, and he was also the linebackers coach. So I spent a lot of time learning how to how to recognize how to teach linebackers what they're supposed to be doing. And so like their first instinct, like straight off the bat, depending on what they're coached is you read the guard or you read the tackle and you look for a pool. And after that, that's when, you know, like, am I going to go plug this hole? Am I going to scrape? Like, am I going to shuffle towards the flow of the play and then attack the hole? Once I see that the play is actually going there. And it's just a matter of being able to see those reads. So when I look at linebackers, I, I mean, it's probably because of coaching, but I look for how quick can they react to pulling guards? How quick can they react to offensive line schemes, whether it's zone or whether it's it's gap schemes? And being able to, to fit inside that hip pocket, and this also goes with, um, with D linemen, to be able to fit into the hip pocket of the offensive lineman that you're lined up in front of. So if you're lined up in a, in a three-tech off of the – off of the guard's outside shoulder and he's his first step is his own step away from you you want to fit in his hip pocket and try and blow up and get to that point before the tackle takes that zone step towards you and makes contact and you want to squeeze into that hip pocket and, and squeeze through and blow up the play so i'm looking at stuff like that how quick can you read the offensive line yep yeah all that stuff is just so like valuable we kind of like talk about like next le- next level scouting if there's like you going from being a fan to a scout like the first step is being able to recognize like base coverages base run base run plays understanding the playbook and basic schemes but then like the net like that's like the next level after that where you're learning like how individual players are going through their reads and what techniques they need to do to succeed in that sense so uh you you mentioned before um before we recorded that you've been doing just a lot of random things in football and doing random things in sports was what i was doing for like five years like i've done pretty much anything and everything involving sports to try to you know find where i would best fit i was an usher and a ticket taker with the cavaliers and the indians i was a football photographer at one point i got i took some great pictures at division three muhlenberg so what what other stuff that you know may not have been like instrumental in helping you understand football scouting but just kind of helped you just in in general uh like positions around football does that make sense yeah so in college, I was uh, I was an intramural official, and so I, I officiated flag football. And something that I realized from there is how players will play to win the refs over, like to, to try and get a call that they want, right? And so as a scout, I, when I watch wide receivers go up against cornerbacks and I see the hand fighting and I see – like there's that's, – that's where the basketball flops happen. And just – I feel like it's somewhat of an aspect of of scouting those positions is can those receivers or those defensive backs sell a penalty 
because it's it's something that I don't really write about. It's something I don't really take notes on. But it's just something that sits in the back of my mind. Like if I see a pass interference call, I'm like, oh, you know, he definitely sold it, or oh, he was playing to the ref, something like that, um, which was pretty cool uh, for me to kind of put together. Um, yeah, obviously, I I did a little bit of I coached for a year, most successful year of my life. Never lost a game. We <laughs> won the state championship that year uh, undefeated. And uh, after that, I went to SIS, like a lot of your guests. Um, and that was really where I learned, that was where I learned how, what charting does and, and really kind of embrace that. What really goes into charting? What matters, at least to analysts? Coaches might not really care about air yards as much, or uh, I mean, obviously they'll care about blown blocks on film for grades, but um, it's just, seeing all of this stuff that kind of gets put together. And so in my in my experience with SIS, it was just so much knowledge. I mean, SIS is, is, it helped me so much with recognizing coverages. Like I feel so much more comfortable watching defensive backs now, knowing that I can recognize what kind of schemes they play and if that's even the scheme for them or if there's another scheme that fits them better. And it's just doing a little bit like a lot of people, some people will say you want to go without, instead of going a thousand miles in one direction, I went one mile in a thousand different directions. And it, and it really just kind of all culminates to, to what's going on now and being able to network like with what Shay was talking about in that episode and uh, the episode with Tim, where you're just talking about being a fan and, and starting from the bottom and really getting that motivation. And, and it's really just, everyone has their own path and it's just crazy how everything kind of culminates together at this one point. Yeah. And you, uh, you never know like how different skills are going to uh, impact you. Uh, in the, in Mark, in Marcus's episode, he was talking about how being a rapper for the first part of his career was helping him. Cause that's, he had to work so hard at or uh, do so much in talking with like venues, facilities and media and like how that it was able to carry over into how well he is as a writer and what he's been doing with tape. Don't lie on YouTube. Yep. That's so like, awesome. Yeah. So like you never know, like getting as many skills as you can in football is, is going to help. Like even something, what I was doing with, like I, I was a stat caller for volleyball, like being able to call, call plays live for volleyball. Like it may not really help me much for football, but being able to do that and, and interact with the other sports, uh, the SIDs and the other people and the coaches there, it's easily translatable to what you'll be doing in football. And keep in mind, like, uh, we're, we're all reading, um, scout speak by, uh, Neil Stratton. Yep. Um, and so what they talk about is like how much of scouting isn't just scouting, it's traveling, it's needing to be able to set a schedule for yourself, being uh, able to network and talk with the other scouts in your area, being able to communicate with the people above you and interns and such below you. So there's like, uh, I knew a guy when I was at SIS and it was so it was just kind of frustrating to uh, watch because he was a very good scout, 
but due to some things out um outside of uh outside of his control he had um he had some uh, medical stuff and he was not very like uh sightly or uh clean it was like and he had no social skills and it was like if you if there was a job where it was like put a guy in front of a computer to watch film 12 hours a day and poop out reports he could do it if you were to ask him to try to like verbally communicate that to p- uh, higher uh, higher ups then it, it was just like it was like no he told me he bombed uh, he's got interviewed for jobs that were amazing like like six figure jobs but because he lacked the so the social skills and he was just a very uh, awkward person he would he could never never get it or okay. rarely get it social skills are super important look this i'm about to tell a really 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 embarrassing story um but it's so important on that you know that you prepare to talk to people and that you know who you're talking to so i went down to the senior bowl last year um and obviously it's where you go to network you meet a you meet great people like i i ended up meeting a, a georgia tech coach um uh, and one of the coaches that i coached with over at chester played with him when was they it, played together at georgia tech so was that it was rod? Nice connection to have. huh was it rod no it was uh his name is will glover glover okay there's uh, a recruiting guy from Georgia Tech that I um, say hi to at the Senior Bowl every year. Like, I, I've literally developed, like, Senior Bowl friends. Like, guys I see once a year in email another time of the year. But I've been to the Senior Bowl three times, and you you, you know them. You've seen their faces. Yeah. So, uh, sorry. Continue on with your embarrassing so, story. Okay. So, I'm um, sitting with my buddy. My buddy wanted to go, um, say, you know, network with uh, some fantasy people. So, I'm sitting with him. And there's like a bunch of coaches. I think Doug Marone was down there, like a couple people that, you know, were big names in football coaching world. And once they left, I'm like, all right, there was only one guy left. And I'm like, all right, let me go talk to this guy. So I'm like, all right, I'll see you later. I go sit next to him. I basically say, uh, hey, man, uh, I'm with SIS. We've been, you know, writing all these scouting reports, whatever. My name's Zach. Can I sit here? Um, He's like, yeah, sure. And so. I'm thinking, all right, cool. I'm about to talk football with this dude. Um, I introduce myself. He doesn't give me his name. I'm trying to look on his lanyard. I can't get anything. It's the lanyard's facing him, so I can't see his name. I can't see anything of who he is, what he represents, whatever. I'm like, so who you like? He's like, I don't know yet. I'm like, who are you looking at? He's like, we'll see. It's just giving me like these one-word answers and not really helping. I'm sitting there like five minutes of silence. It was so it was so awkward, and he's like I'm sitting there silent, and he looks at me after a couple of minutes. He's like, "Who'd you say you're with again?" I'm like, "Oh, SIS." We, you know, I make him my elevator pitch. And I'm like, "Yeah, man. Uh, if you want, I can uh I can send you some some of these emails. I'm not gonna bother you, but you know, I can send you emails of these guys I wrote about. And if you want, you know, you can use them. If not, whatever." And he's like, "No, that's all right. I'm not really in the in the business of that." And I'm like, "Oh, what are you in the business of?" He's like, "I'm the defensive coordinator of the New Orleans Saints." I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> okay oh my goodness i have a great day and i'm like i had no idea like that's probably the one thing if i could give one piece of advice other than don't be afraid to talk to people is know what people look like like do some homework see if you can recognize some faces but that i was i had no choice i had to leave i didn't know what else to do yeah like that like that just is like 
Oh, and I always like compare, like there's like an awkwardness around like talking with these people. It's like talking with girls in high school. It's like (laughs) you want, you want to talk with them. You're trying to have like conversations with them. And there's just so much stuff that you don't, that you don't know. And you don't want to, you want to sound like professional, but you don't want to sound like robotic professional. Yeah, like you don't you don't want to have like that that exactly robotic script. But yeah, I mean like it's it's nerve-wracking talking to these people that are, you know, they're here for business and they're like I'm here for a job, but you know, I'm trying to pick your brain too. And it's just it's it was really surreal like for that to happen. But honestly, like that was that was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. My favorite was was when you told the story about <laughs> about how you're talking to uh who was it hugh jackson hugh jackson like, john dorsey i want to be the gm of the browns and my backup plan is to be the president of the u.s of the united states <laughs> yeah one of my favorite stories yeah so but oh i thought i mean john dorsey telling me that baker was a midget it was clearly <laughs> the best part of that um but yeah, like stuff like stuff stuff like that can can happen. I do think I was kind of aided by the fact that I just look look so young and um like just kind of that like fresh out of college, ready to make an impact kind of attitude. But st- like still like ta- yeah. talk with talk with people. Obviously, know when to talk. Know when to talk. Uh, know when. Um, my my senior bowl strategy. Senior Bowl strats. Um, it might be a little different uh, different this year because they're playing at a new stadium. But come to the stadium early. Um, I think all, pretty much every year I come, I was one of like the first people to the stadium. So I mean, it was a little uncomfortable with just being there for an hour with just a small group of people who were like uh, like minded. And uh, then once the people start kind of uh, kind of filling in, you just try to recognize who people are. Like, okay, there's the Panther Scouts. Uh, Panther Scouts over there. There, these people are over. Um, the Draft Network people are over here. The fantasy, the fantasy um, dorks are over there. And then just kind of think of a think of a plan of attack. Usually, the smaller the group of scouts. Like, if you see two scouts and Packers gear sitting together, that would be easier to walk up to than the whole entire staff. You can still walk up to the whole entire staff. I have absolutely done that, but you're more likely to have success. They uh, have success there, and yeah, usually the best bet is to be humble yet also confident. Again, that's kind of like that, like that weird, uh, weird pitch where it's like you don't want to be too cocky. You want them to give you advice. But you also want it to be like the good advice and not just the work hard, watch film kind of advice that you already know. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. my what really helped me give me that push to go talk to people was just remembering that they're they're human. You know, they do the same things we do. You know, they sleep in a bed. They put on pants. They you know, it's just stuff like that. It's like they're regular people. They just have jobs that we want. Mm-hmm. You know, and so just to be able to to remember that, and the worst is when you remember that you go up and you're like you're feeling good, and then you know they snub you, like that sucks. But that's mm-hmm. the worst they can do. You know, they're not exactly. just gonna be like, hey, look at this dude, look at this idiot right here. He doesn't know anything. They're not gonna do that. They're just gonna, go- yeah. They're not going well, to write right. letters I mean, to every single. Yeah, 
Yeah, they're not they're not going to after you interact with them and it's weird. Like that that defensive coordinator of the Saints did not go and write an email to every single other general manager and scouting director and be like, Hey, I saw this kid. His name was Zach. He was super weird and awkward. And if any of you guys ever hire him, I'm gonna like make fun of you or something. Like, no, no, I hope not. Yeah, though that that's that's like the um the worst thing that can happen. It's like again, the high school homecoming dance. If you ask a girl to dance, the worst that they can tell you is no. I mean, they can also, I guess, clown you on Snapchat afterwards, but that's what that's the newfangled kids are doing. Back in our day, we didn't have that. We <laughs> barely had that. But yeah, so kind of having the mindset that the best case, the best thing that can happen is you can find a scout or a person in the industry who kind of thinks the same way as you do, kind of has the same energy as you do or the same vibes that you do (laughs) and have a conversation with them. And wow, now, now this person knows that you, uh, you exist. And maybe if you're really good, that person will know that you exist and actually like you. So usually that'll happen around year two or second interaction. Like once you see a person at like two times at two different places, That'll help. And then once yeah. you start building that relationship, that person can actually uh, uh, help help you on your way up. Yeah. And and that's why it's just so important to be at least sufficient, scouting word, at least sufficient when like with your social skills. Like you need to be able to 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 just know how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. And know that those people are smart, but they're not gods. Yeah. Um I'm, I'm, there's plenty of things you shouldn't say say to them, like, why did you pick this bus from 2017? Or <laughs> Yeah, no, you're not there to roast them. They're not going to help you. Exactly, exactly. So being able to have kind of like that, that moderation, the awareness to know, hey, we're a half hour before practices start, uh, practices start. I can go and talk, uh, talk to these scouts and see what advice I can give them, show them uh, and show them my work. And let, hopefully they'll give me their card or the email address of somebody, uh, whatever HR person there is, and that those relation uh, relationships can build. Like I think I've already got to the point where I've seen Alonzo Highsmith at the Senior Bowl so many years that I think he would actually recognize me. And that's that's good. That's a, even though I don't have his email address or really don't have no way of getting a hold of him right now, just that right now is valuable. It is a step in the right direction for sure. Exactly. So uh well, I'm a scout. You're a scout. You've been scouting players? I have been scouting players. Amazing. Yeah. So what are some of the players that you've watched kind of throughout the preseason process that just kind of stood out to you that maybe you weren't expecting that this player is going to be anything great? You knew nothing about him beforehand. And uh, then you watch the tape and you're like, wow, this guy could start in the NFL. Uh, So I really liked, uh, we were talking about cornerbacks earlier. I really liked Paulson Adebo. And uh, he's the cornerback out of Stanford. Obviously, they're not uh, they don't have anything going right now. He was Paulson Adebo was widely considered to be like a first round prospect coming out of last year's draft, but he surprised everyone and he opted back in for his senior year. Uh, I mean, obviously a little disappointing, but he's um, I mean that that dude's an athlete. That's where you're gonna get your athletes are at cornerback uh, and safeties for sure. They're gonna fly around the field and. And I think that something that really stuck out 
to me with Adebo is just his ability to stay fluid with his transition. So when he's backing up, when he's backing up, uh, his his hips aren't kind of his legs aren't getting underneath of him too much to the point where he's going to trip over himself. He he has really good hip fluidity and he's able to stay in phase with his receivers, meaning that so there's in phase and out of phase and basically in phase with cornerbacks is essentially that you are in control of the receiver during his route. You know, you're not lost. You're not beat. You're, you're making the quarterback. If the quarterback wants to throw there, it's a very, very difficult throw. Um, and so, and if the quarterback does throw to Paulson Adebo, he's very good at tracking that ball and he's very good at making plays on the ball. And, and he's, um, he's really aware when he does it too. He can, he can man up and he's really aware in zone. So he knows when to, if there's a deep out and that's really, he just, the quarterback wants you to follow that deep out. And then there's a drag route coming across the field shallow. He's smart enough to see that coming and jump that. And he's made plays like that before. Um, And it, it really goes to show kind of what his, how quick his reaction speed really is. Um, and, and the dude, I mean, he's made one-handed interceptions in the end zone. He's an athletic freak. Um, the only things that really affect his stock for me is just that he'll, if he has to set the edge, he'll take bad angles and he'll sometimes give up the edge doing that. Um, and other than that, I mean, he bites on double moves, um, which is something that every corner has to struggle with making sure that they don't do. And, uh, just his footwork technique as well, kind of, uh, he doesn't really put his feet in the right position to give him, um, leverage when he's trying to press. And so sometimes he can get beat off the press with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, Paulson Adebo, uh, is someone that I was really impressed with considering that I really didn't know who he was until I started scouting. Him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like it's the worst thing. That you can, if the worst thing you can say about a player is that they struggle against the run, especially well, a corner, and that's a pretty, pretty ringing endorsement. The hip fluidity is always very important because corners have to uh, flip their hips; they have to follow receivers doing complex routes, and uh, that sounds like a first-round uh, style of quarterback. If he's, if you have long speed, if you've got instincts, and you have ball skills. And you can play both man and zone. That sounds like a really good corner. I yeah, know for me, I mean, Sean Wade was the corner I did. Have you watched any uh, any of him? Oh, I, I've seen a little bit of Sean Wade, but not enough. Yeah. yeah. Sean Wade was a slot corner for Ohio State. And he just has really good speed, just able to stick to wide receivers, plays a lot of man. But it was all like in the slot. We just never really saw much of him outside because our net and Akuda was there. What he had that Adebo doesn't have is like that physicality, the ability to impact run play, uh, run plays and come in on slot blitzes was something that he showed. Now, obviously, I'd like to because Ohio State ran a lot of single high man. I'm not really sure how well he'd do as an outside zone corner. But I just saw that physical freak athleticism, being able to run with wide receivers, 
and yeah, there was a mental error here or there, some press mistakes like you were talking about where they're in press position and the wide receiver just beats beats them with their hands off the line. It, uh, type yeah, issues. and I mean, that's, those those are my favorite. I mean, I, I love um, just physical cornerbacks, like guys that are just willing to, to go after it, you know, someone who's willing to, to make a receiver scared to run around on you know, and, and it really can mess up the focus of that receiver. Um, and so it's something that I'd like to see. Um, if I don't see a lot of, um, of viciousness, I guess, uh, it's not the worst thing in the world, but definitely being physical always helps on the football field. Exactly. And if you're, and if you're, because there are some corners that are very physical, but they're just not fast enough and their physicality just won't fly in the NFL. They'll get too many pass, inter, uh, pass interference calls. So, like, you still need to have that speed, the man coverage ability. But if you can have that and that and that kind of, like, Cortland Finnegan-type attitude, remember him, where it's like you know you're going up against a yep. dog. You know you're going up against a guy who's going to be yep. – Whacking you and talking trash. See Andre Johnson. Yep, see Andre Johnson. And that's another nice thing that you can add to your cornerback room, and you're going to get a player that a lot of fans are going to uh, fans are going to like and a lot of players are going to rally to. Yeah. All right. Are there any uh, any other players that you uh, that you have in mind that you'd like to talk about? Uh, yeah. So I'll so. This is really just one sentence. I just want to say that I watched Shaka Tony out of Penn State, and I really like that dude coming off the edge. But he's a little undersized. But I just wanted to shout out Penn State. My family's a big Penn State fan. Yeah. Um, my So on offense, um, someone who I was really excited to see, and I guess I'm still excited to see now that they're coming back, is, um, is Trey Sermon, the running back out of Oklahoma. And he transferred to Ohio State um, in the offseason. And, you know, obviously, like, they have a, they had a, a hole opening up with uh, Dobbins, right? Dobbins was there? Yep. Yeah, so with Dobbins out, I really was excited to see Trey Sermon uh, come to Ohio State and kind of really show off. I feel like he was hidden in Oklahoma. Uh, he did well, and then he came back in 2019, and then he had a knee injury. And, uh, you know, really, <coughs> he ended up losing his job uh, to Kennedy Brooks, other right? guys. Huh? Kennedy Brooks, right? Yeah, to Kennedy Brooks. And um, so that, that really kind of hurt. But he averaged 7.1 yards a carry up before he got hurt, you know. So what really stuck out to me with this dude is just his, his contact balance. Uh, I, I really thought that, that it was upper tier. Um, that and his elusiveness, and and I think when you put those two together, you get a really slippery guy. You get someone that's very difficult to tackle, and it's just a lot of fun watching him turn what looks like three or four yard runs into, you know, twenty plus yard playmaking exactly. situations. You know, got a little and bit of that uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Am I right? Yes, yes. That's a very good. I'm I'm not very good with comparisons, but I do see some resemblance with that um and so yeah his contact balance is great his his elusiveness is great and something that is very madden-esque of him is his ability to manipulate defenders into getting blocked like if you play madden you know that you see this dude coming 
at you. Start to head towards him, but you know you're not going to, you know he's not going to get blocked unless you kind of, you bring him out a little bit. Five and and it's it's something that I I don't think I've really seen in the players that I've scouted until I until I watched Cerna. Yeah, being yeah. able to uh, like manipulate defenders and make them think you're going into one gap and make them commit to that gap and then head into the other. That's um another thing that that's kind of what we put under instincts or vision. Being able to manipulate defenders like that is really really crucial. And the fact that he's already uh, able to do that should bode well for him in the future. He does have a master Teague to compete with in that Ohio State backfield. I, I know he's been getting a lot of hype, too, redshirt sophomore. Yeah. But we know how those Ohio State gar, uh, players are. They're, they're just built different. So, yeah, and, and I will say that, um, I mean, obviously I was hyping him up. He does have things to improve on. Uh, for sure, like every player. Um, I would probably say he's a willing but unable blocker, if that makes sense. Like, he, he, he's fine. He'll take on a blitz. He'll look for action. He's fully committed to it. But he's not necessarily aware of where blitzes could be coming from. With side protections, he might get a little bit confused. But uh, willing but unable is how I would describe that. Absolutely. All right, so uh, I just want to remind everybody that we both are uh, scouts for Expand the Box Score. We've got 230 now reports up on the website. Everybody from Trevor Lawrence to D'Angelo Amos are there. So we're scouting the big guys, but we're looking at sleepers too. Full reports, uh, strengths, weaknesses, what they have to work on. This is... I, I really haven't seen much on the internet like what we have done, and it's something that everybody should check out. Um, Zach, what is your Twitter, social, any other projects that you're working on that you want our listeners to know about? Uh, Twitter is at CoachZapt52, uh, and uh, Instagram is the same thing, ZApt52. Um, and just, I would say, if you're a fan and you're looking to break into kind of some sort of scouting or looking at the game differently, I recommend the book Take Your Eye Off the Ball by Pat Kerwin. Uh, oh, yeah. That that one is a very good ent- uh, entry-level book. I read uh, I read both of them. Other books that we've mentioned were um, Blood, Sweat, and Chalk. I read that book back in high school by Tim Layden. That looks at the um, how certain schemes that defined eras came to be how yep. rich rodriguez made the read option that one was air in there, right? air coriel uh is uh what is it t uh the t- what was the t formation that uh hallis and Sh- o'shaughnessy did to uh beat the redskins 73 to nothing blanking for a second no idea i don't know what that was called yeah but Everything from innovations way back uh, way back when to the innovations that define the 2000s and 2010s, that's in there. And then we already mentioned Scout Speak by Neil Stratton. Uh, that's been a book that just shows the inner details of what scouting is, because scouting just doesn't have the same 
like buzz around it as be- head coaches are like you can know what how like coaches work at a very detailed level but how scouts do things at a detailed level that's something that you can see in this um read in this book and i've been loving it so far i think i have like a chapter or two left sweet other than that i'm good absolutely all right I am The Football, and this is The Football Scouting Podcast. Thank you guys for watching, and we'll be back with another uh, episode either next week or maybe sooner. Thank you guys, and have a great rest of your day. See you. Bye.